Good day and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. As always, thanks for tuning in. Democratic leaders say they're getting close to a deal on the massive spending bill that they hope to pass through the reconciliation process. That is the rare procedural maneuver that Democrats can use to get spending bills through Congress with a simple majority, which can't be filibustered by Republicans. But it looks like some of the most progressive spending initiatives might be disappearing from that bill in order to hold the Democratic majority together. Meanwhile, we're still dealing with some major economic disruptions due to the pandemic. Supply chain problems are causing product shortages, and the price of some goods and services is absolutely skyrocketing. I don't know if you've gone grocery shopping lately and looked at the bill, but there is a big difference between what you're paying for pretty basic things like bacon or milk right now than what you would have been paying even four or six months ago. So here to talk about all of the issues going on in Washington and what the federal response should look like is Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin. She is a Democrat who represents Michigan 8th Congressional District in Washington. Congresswoman, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. So, uh, as I said in the open, we're starting to see some of the most progressive parts of this reconciliation bill placed on the chopping block. And that happens sometimes as a way of trying to keep everyone together, keep everybody saying that they can uh, cast a vote in favor uh, of the bill. Uh, One example is that paid family leave was originally proposed to last 12 weeks, but now will be shortened to four. I want to get your reaction to that idea first, but then I'd love to have you talk about the process of trying to get a bill passed and keeping your majority intact so that it, in fact, does get the requisite votes. Yeah, well, I would say the process um, is kind of on display for the for the whole world to see, <laughs> it, and uh, it's not my preferred way of doing business. I'm, you know, come from the Pentagon and the CIA, where we don't tend to air our dirty laundry in public, but. Uh, that's unfortunately where we've been. Uh, I will say I do think that when we get certainly the bipartisan infrastructure deal done and then this second human infrastructure bill, I do think we're going to do some transformative things um, like universal pre-K across the country. Mm. What that will do to have kids across the board going into preschool um, will be amazing. Mm-hmm. Child care provisions that will be amazing. On family leave, um, certainly as someone who took unpaid family leave when my mother uh, got sick, Um, A month of family leave paid um, so that you can keep your job and go and take care of an ailing parent or a sick child or um, I think will still be totally different than what we have now um, for most people who have jobs. So, um, you know, I I try to focus on the transformative things that, that hopefully will be in the bill, but I haven't seen the final text either. So I'm waiting to see that before I make any final calls. Mm. So uh, the on the family leave question, d- dive a little deeper into that. 12 weeks to four weeks, pretty dramatic cut. What was it that led uh, to that kind of alteration of that, of that proposal? I, I would love for people to get a sense of essentially how the back and forth here all works. Yeah, well, you know, look, it, it harkens back to when we had President Biden here in, um, in Michigan talking about these bills. Um, I had 30 minutes with him in his car, in his armored vehicle, uh, the beast, they call it. 
And I talked to him about a bunch of things that were really important to me and they're important to others. And that was paying for this thing, right? Really being able to pay for it. So we're not passing debt onto our kids and our grandkids. And when you want to pay for something that's expensive, um, there's a lot of costs associated with that, right? There's, there's a whole conversation to have around, you know, tax policy, et cetera, et cetera. So, There's not a complicated reason why it went from 12 to four weeks um, other than the top line, the cost, was too much in order to to cover with, um, you know, the increases in in revenue collection we're going to have to do. So uh, I want to talk about when President Biden visited Michigan recently. He came to your district. Uh, There's this major union training facility in Howell which served as a great backdrop for his push to pass the infrastructure bill. Uh, talk about what that package specifically would mean for your district and Michigan more broadly. Sure. Well, I think um, it's a traditional infrastructure bill um, with some 21st century tweaks. The traditional stuff, roads, bridges, dams, you know, all the stuff that Michiganders have been um, hoping for in terms of a once-in-a-generation level of investment. It is that once-in-a-generation level of investment. There'll be more money in the next decade coming into our state on infrastructure than most of us have ever seen in our lifetime or will see again. But it also updates it for the modern era. So we'll get $100 million just in the state of Michigan on broadband. We should be able to have broadband internet from the you know furthest corners of southeast Michigan all the way to the western part of the U.P., when we're done with this, if we do strategic investments correctly. So um, it has a, a bunch of things like that. And then a bunch of things that affect our economy in Michigan, you know, electric vehicle infrastructure so that you could drive all the way up north on electric vehicle so that you could drive across the country from Maine to California on an electric vehicle and not worry about charging up. So uh, there's a there, that's the traditional infrastructure bill. Um, that will come in, in in sort of traditional ways through the state and then disseminate it down to our state and lo- or our local officials, our counties, to start working on their projects. So I also want to talk about the climate provisions of um, of, of what's going on and some of the some of the things that that are again falling out of this bill. And I wonder if you find that acceptable. Are we doing enough to combat climate change in this bill if we lose some of those provisions? Yeah, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the, the, the problem that about this bill, or one of the problems about it is that we just really have not been clear about what's in it, what's coming out, what's staying in. Um, and it's true, not everything can stay in a deal. That's the, neg- n- the nature of negotiations. I think what's really um, interesting to me is, like, if you talk to Senator Stabenow, who runs the, ag- you know, the Agriculture Committee, is a full 20% of the carbon reduction that's coming out of this bill is going to come through change and incentivizing different practices through farming. Um, it's, there's plenty of things that still remain on the environmental side. It's not everything, but nobody gets everything in a deal. Do we need to take significant um, action to deal with climate change? Every Michigander this summer knows what it's like to have more storms and increase in storms and increase in the veracity of those storms. And we're doing a ton on preparedness now um, in this bill. 
Um, it's not everything that we wanted, but I don't think we should say that there's nothing left for the environment in this bill. Mm. I'm talking with Congresswoman Alyssa Slock, and she is a Democrat who represents Michigan's 8th Congressional District in Washington. We're talking about all the things going on right now in Washington, this effort to get some major pieces of legislation passed that would really make a change in significant areas of American life. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, what, what questions do you have for Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin, who is uh, part of the process in Washington, trying to figure these things out and get them passed? Uh, what do you think of the direction that these massive spending bills in Congress are taking? Uh, do you think it'll be acceptable if the final bill doesn't include some of the more progressive provisions that were proposed? Things like cutting family leave from 12 weeks to four. Uh, things like uh, taking some of the climate uh, provisions out of the bill. Do you think even if we have to do those things, if we can get Congress uh, to accept this and get the president to sign it, that we will have accomplished something significant uh, in terms of uh, fixing some of the problems that we have in our country? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also uh, go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Um, David on Twitter asks uh, whether you can comment, uh, Rep Slotkin, on why it's so hard to find a trillion dollars for the infrastructure bill compared to the additional trillion dollars of defense spending recently passed by Congress over for over the next 10 years. Uh, great question, though, the, the way that we set priorities in Washington. Uh, can yeah. you explain that? Yeah, I mean, certainly. I think there's um, always going to be a conversation when it comes to our budget because the Defense Department is, I think, the most significant uh, portion of our national budget, for sure. Um, I think one of the things that has a lot of people worried here in the United States or in the Washington, I should say, um, is our ability to keep up with China and the additional investment. I, it, was, it was not a trillion dollars, but the additional investment um, that's being made in the Defense Department budget is related specifically to competing and keeping trying to keep our military edge over China. Um, it, it's pretty amazing. Most people um, in the national security world, are concerned that we're going to lose our military superiority potentially in the ne next decade. And no one alive, not one of us alive, has been in a world where the United States is not the military, you know, dominant military actor. So that, that's certainly where it comes from. Um, but you're right. It's just uh, there is more consensus, I think, around supporting the Defense Department budget than there is around new and bold programs. Mm. And part of that is building that, uh, that case, building that support from the public. Again, we haven't done it in the, in the most effective way on this bill, um, and that's on us. Um, but it is, uh, that is sort of the facts of the situation. So, so I, I want to go back to your explanation of, of the defense spending for a second. Um, the idea that China could surpass the United States in terms of uh, investment and, and therefore dominance in a military context, uh, I, I think for a lot of people, that's an abstract concept. What difference does it make to the average American if yeah. China is somehow more powerful than the United States? Can you, can you talk about that for just a second? Sure, sure. Yeah, that's, a, that's an important question. 
So I think right now, much of the sort of, um, you know, the, the rogue actors in the world, the bad behavior um, by different countries is largely, largely, not always, but largely kept at bay because they know that the United States has the ability to, you know, be dominant if they actually, for instance, with Iran or North Korea, and certainly with China, it's the same, it's the same way. They, um, they have understood for the past 60 years that we could beat them if we had to get into a fight. And now they are questioning that. They are testing the boundaries. They are doing all kinds of things to sort of test the fences, as it were. Um, and they're investing in technology that meant if we got into a fight, they could, you know, have us go blind and deaf. They could hit our satellites. They could do a lot of things that would undercut our traditional military might. Now, when that is a, is a fact that's understood, at least by one party, then they get much more aggressive. They get aggressive in um, what they do militarily, how they treat their neighbors, but they also get more aggressive in their, what is already going on, their cheating in the economic system, um, their violation of norms and standards, human rights. They do all kinds of things that, uh, that certainly could go unpunished um, if they just decided and we sort of understood that they had a military advantage. That means, uh, you know, we're already complaining in Michigan about how China cheats and doesn't live up to international norms and standards that would get worse. They would become more aggressive. The likelihood of a conflict would go up. Um, and those are the kinds of things that would be a major, major suck on our economy. So um, it's, a, it's a, a new world that I hope to not see, um, but it would have particularly economic consequences back home. Yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here. Uh, on the phones, if you'd like to ask a, a question of uh, Representative Alyssa Slotkin, um, I, I want to talk just a little about this national uh, stockpile and mm-hmm. uh, your efforts and your focus on uh, beefing up the national stockpile so that some of the supply chain problems that we're seeing right now might not be as uh, acute as uh, as they will. Last week, your bill did pass the House with overwhelming uh, bipartisan support. Talk about what it would do. Sure. So uh, this supply chain bill um, and strategic national stockpile bill came directly from the searing experience we all had in Michigan when COVID really began. And we all remember those really horrible stories of nurses and doctors just begging for masks and gowns and gloves, people going out and wearing construction equipment and scuba equipment and sharing masks on a COVID ward. Um, and when we opened the strategic national stockpile, this big reserve of exactly that kind of equipment, that kind of PPE, um, I know that Michigan was expecting a much bigger portion than what we got. And what we did get was often expired and in some cases moldy. So this was this bill was born of that experience. And it basically refashions our strategic national stockpile so that, A, it's more transparent. Michigan will always know what we're getting. B, they can, the stockpile managers can sell off stuff before it becomes expired so that we can always keep it fresh, not moldy. And then number three, the most important thing, it pilots a $500 million program to have American manufacturers make that PPE, right? Mm. Incentivize American companies to keep making masks and gowns so that we're not dependent on China for things that, that are equivalent to body armor in America's latest war. Mm. So I also want to talk to you about the redistricting uh, 
process, yep. which has gotten a lot of people's attention, including yours. Uh, oh, so yeah. on some of the maps that uh, have been drawn, you would not uh, you would not be able to run in the current district that you are. I, 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 of course, you can. I mean, you can run for Congress from from <laughs> anywhere. But uh, you've said that you would uh, you would move uh, to the Lansing area to run for a new seat that's going to be centered in that part of the state. I, I think that's going to be a pretty highly contested seat, maybe one of the closest in the whole nation, even though the district doesn't actually exist yet. I think we can we can make that kind of prediction. Uh, talk about that kind of choice, though, that kind of personal choice that you end up having to make uh, because of the way that uh, <laughs> that they've decided to, to carve up our districts. Yeah, well, we all voted in a citizens commission back um, in 2018. This is the first time we've ever had it. And it's done its job. It really has, you know, taken comment from the public and reorganized uh, the districts. Right now, I represent two and a half districts or two and a quarter districts, the quarter being <laughs> Oakland County. Um, and the new district uh, would be a Lansing based district, but would have two of those two and a quarter counties still in it. Uh, you know, right now my congressional headquarters is in Lansing. My campaign headquarters is in Lansing. So this would mean a move for me uh, from my uh, farm in Holly, Michigan to Lansing. Always a hard thing to do, and we're not going to get rid of the family farm. But um, I think it's important that ultimately wherever I run, I live. I think that's important. And listen, a lot of my fellow members of Congress, Democrats and Republicans, are all facing similar issues. There's a lot of us who are uh, waiting with bated breath to see what's going to happen. Um, but, uh, um, you know, you gotta, you got to be able to roll with it. And, and certainly, uh, as I understand it, the new district will be just as competitive as my current one and certainly the most competitive one in the state of Michigan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I quickly want to take a call before I know we have to let you go, Alyssa. Chris in Southfield. Chris, what's on your mind? Hey, thanks a lot for having me. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I used to work for the Detroit Arsenal. I was a um, I was a contract specialist. I bought military equipment, and we're talking about the defense budget. We're talking about you know government spending. When I was in that in that role, I saw a lot of a lot of waste, and I'm wondering, mm -hmm. you know, what are your thoughts on how we can reduce waste in the government procurement process? Mm. Great question, Chris. Thanks very much for that. Uh, go ahead, Alyssa. That is a great question. And as someone who worked at the Pentagon, I can tell you firsthand, there is definitely fat on that bone. I mean, for sure. Actually, I was so concerned about it that I, I got a bipartisan amendment passed so that the Pentagon literally has to do an annual report on, I call it pork, you know, the programs that are there because they're legacy systems, because someone in Congress wants them to continue, uh, because they're someone's favorite pet rock. Um, and we got that passed, and I'm hoping that within a year we will have that uh, that program or that pro that report, so that we can actually see the scale of what uh, the caller was talking about. It, it, it is there is no way that the Defense Department budget should be such a significant portion of our national budget, and we can't take a really really careful eye to cutting that fat. Um, absolutely, and we but we first have to understand the full scale of it. So that's what we've started to do. Yeah. Okay, uh, Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin, it's always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks very much for joining Thanks us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Okay, we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, 
We're going to talk about uh, the growing animosity against academics and researchers and the way that MSU political scientist Matt Grossman is pushing back. He says in his new book that the social sciences have been getting better with less bias, evidence, diversity, and self-reflection. Will that help improve our politics and our society? We're going to talk about it next. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today.